0: landline got to say my smartphone is definitely continuing to have a hold on me so that is one area where i don't succeed i'm the guy who has gotten rid of their smartphone twice and gone back to Nokia bar phones only to then go back to smartphones and what's my big move this year saul what can, what can the listeners look forward to
1: well in terms of you using your smartphone or in terms of just, us using our smartphone just or, get, or what, what get, i what mean I getting just at? getting
0: a handle on things so we got friend text exchange Um, work email, um, sports radio apps, searching for Patriots beat writer, Twitter accounts, even though I don't have Twitter, I'll read them through my web browser, getting a new piece of bites and bits around Trump and his failures. Um, and then uh, the weather, but really not that bad. So
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm terrible about giving advice to, to these things. It's too, you know, these are, these are big, thorny, difficult issues we're we're all grappling with. I don't know if being on text chains with friends makes you happy. I mean, if it does, then maybe do more of it, or at least not less of it. Um, I don't know if listening to sports radio is, is, you know, comparable. I don't know. We all all need entertainment. You know, whether you're watching Netflix or playing the Nintendo or reading or, you know, talking to your friends or anything else, we we all need entertainment in our, our lives. But I guess we just sort of have to define it in ways that are, not as problematic for us as um as others
0: i just i feel like i'm losing the war
1: Welcome to Landline Podcast, a triumphant return to conversations that used to be important. On today's show, Saul versus Alex, Alex versus Saul. Two white men talking about themselves. And the latest
2: edition of Scam Jam. Here's your host, Alex McKay.
0: Happy 2019 Landline Podcast. If it's your first time, if it's your last time. We're happy you stopped by. On today's show, it's New Year's resolutions, tips on getting sober with Saul, joining a gay friendly boxing gym with dirty wooden floors, nothing more landline than that. Plus, we've got sponsors. We've got Scam Jam, a favorite feature for many longtime listeners, as well as a little history lesson in segment four. So enjoy the show. Here we go, Landline Podcast, 503 894 8480. Call the Landline. Join the show. Leave a message. Talk to me. Landline.
1: Landline.
3: Call from wireless caller.
0: Landline.
1: Ahoy, this is Saul.
0: Saul, welcome to the new Landline podcast with a different recording device where you sound exceptional.
1: Well, I'm excited to uh, set sail together for the first time in 2019.
0: Aren't you glad that, similar to if I bought a brand new convertible, I would drive over to your house and pick you up so we could go about the town in suits, that you're the first person to speak on the new Zoom H5 handy recorder?
1: Well, if this is your way of just leading up to telling me that you bought a convertible and you'll be outside in 10 minutes, I couldn't be liking it more.
0: No, we both know that in this relationship, you're the one who will buy the convertible.
1: It's true, I will. Now, I also calculated, being in nautical terms, that if I pace the deck of my apartment for approximately 50 minutes during our podcast, I think I'm exercising the equivalent of something like a dozen miles.
0: Wow, are you using a smart device to track your steps? Does Does Mark Zuckerberg know where you are right now?
1: No, the good the good news is I'm not. Uh, this is just all back of the envelope uh, calculations.
0: With like a it's tape kind, I like tape measure or a yardstick or something. Did you? How much math did you have to do? Did you get a calculator out, or was it all just eighth grade style?
1: Well, the good thing about not needing precise numbers is you don't need precise math. So, no, I'm not sitting in my apartment with a protractor. Um, on the other hand, um, I have a pretty good sense of how long my steps are, and I'll just keep taking them as we talk.
0: So, what is the opposite of binge? Is it like, uh, what in, a, in an antonym way, what's the opposite of binge?
1: I think it's something like anorexia. <laughs>
0: Well, we're calling you today because you're one of the world's foremost authorities on um, the ebb and flow of consumption, exercise, fitness. Um, You're well known to, uh, you know, really binge and and go the opposite way, um, in a good way, not something that we're judging you on here on Landline Podcast. You have a great history of you know, going on long streaks of one behavior for as long as you can and seeing significant and dramatic results. So in a season of signing up for the gym and not drinking and not using television and deciding to put money away to buy a house or whatever it is our listeners are deciding to do differently this year, I feel like you have a lot of experience in both succeeding and failing in those tasks. So I wanted to start the show out by just – um Asking you why you don't do Dry January and how you kind of plan your alcohol-free moments. I've, I'm two weeks sober as we speak, speak here today. So I thought you could give us some insight into how you plan these things.
1: Well, basically, I, I've never liked moving with the crowd. Um, I don't do my grocery shopping on Sunday afternoons. I don't quit drinking and buy gym passes on January 1st, um, and in fact, I try to avoid rush hour. I've always had a policy that I try to do things when other people aren't doing them, um, because I find that it, it, that just makes me more productive and happier. Um, I go to coffee shops not to write, but to like buy my coffee and leave, um, and then I find a nice quiet bar where I'm the only person with a laptop, and that's where I hunker down. Wow. So to me, crowd crowds are not motivating. I think some people might take um, motivation from being in the group of a the, being part of a group that's doing exactly what you're doing, um, and I just don't like that. In fact, if I was going to send a Valentine's Day card to my loved one, I'd pick literally any day except Valentine's Day to send it off.
0: <laughs> so I asked you because I joined a gym, and that's what this podcast is going to be about: is about my new. Uh, Membership at the Sweet Science Boxing Gym in North Portland. Nothing more landline than boxing, it turns out, and we'll get into the details about that soon. But um, I asked you if you were abstaining from drinking, and you said no. You said that that was a September thing for you. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I, I like to do a month or two early in the fall, at the beginning of the semester. We all know I'm an academic, and I think in terms of semesters, trimesters, quarter system occasionally. And to me, that's when I like to kick things off. Uh, possibly again in the spring or summer, but why stop when everyone else is stopping? To me, that's a time, That's a great opportunity to have more drinks than normal. So
0: when everyone else is thinking like January one, turning the page, holidays are over. What is the framing around September one? Uh, you know, I understand the academic reference you just made, but how does that usually go? I guess you're kind of like just that, that Labor Day barbecue is the first time where you feel like a fish out of water. I mean, what, is it easy? Is that an easy time of year to do it? Because there's still some pretty good sunsets, and there's still a fair amount of, of you know oyster varietals that are in season in September and October. So how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the, the tragedy about not drinking is it turns out that there's always a good time to drink, and probably a lot of women who are pregnant think about that even more than we do. Um, there's always something fun going on. There's always a new cocktail and a new season to enjoy it. In. And maybe the gin and tonics of August fade into the Manhattan's of September and the liquor becomes browner as the weather becomes chillier. But there's always going to be some place that you're going to want to be drinking. There's always going to be some drink that you're going to want to have. And... You just have to sort of eventually face up to that fact and say, I'm going to choose the time that's right for me. So when I stop in the fall, I know full well that there might be a barbecue or two that I show up to with a case of Pellegrino. And I know full well that there's going to be times when I sip hot tea in the evening and look jealously at my brandy collection, which is quite extensive. But there's always going to be those moments.
0: So, um, kind of give us just some tips because I feel like you're a great coach on this. Again, I can't overstate enough how often you've made a proclamation and then lost like sixty pounds or some somewhere thereabouts. Um, you really are just stubborn in all ways possible, including for yourself, which has some major upside. So, I you've been coaching me a little bit here and there and some non-recorded phone calls. Um, I'm into, you know, day 16 of not drinking. It's becoming increasingly easy. But if you kind of had to give the world of January sobriety, even some of those folks who maybe have backslid into a couple of football game afternoon beers but are still looking to lose a few LBs maybe, you know, late January, February, and just continue to get their their step off right as they, you know, use the Internet less and engage in the natural world more? What, what would you give just off the top some, some easy flyaway pieces of advice?
1: All right, you're talking to the right guy, no question. So, number one, you have to think of it in semi-astrological terms, that, you know, what you're doing is you're blasting off towards the stars on a long journey. And that means you have to get out of or into orbit. You have to get out of the gravitational pull of the earth. So essentially the first tip I can give is you got to just kind of hunker down and make it to week one. And once you make it to week one, then that's just rocket fuel. That's going to blast you up higher into your like one month orbit when you can just stop trying so hard and kind of peacefully circle the planet for as long as you really want to. Mm. So Number one, you you gotta achieve weightlessness. Number two, and I promise I'll get back to the question of, of
0: weight. No, go go where you're going. We love we love it. We're we're in we're in orbit with you, and we wouldn't want to be anywhere else.
1: Number two, you you have to embrace your solitarian. And I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert, or if you need people around you, or if you can't stand it, or if you live in a cabin in the middle of the woods, or in an apartment high-rise in New York. You you have to accept the fact that you're going to have to say no early on to some social events because those are the quicksand the quicksand that the mastodons fell into. You know, you you will walk into a tar pit, and that tar pit will be made up of you know IPA beer or a margarita sludge or whatever it's going to be, and you'll sink down immediately. So mm. you have to simply have the willingness to say no to social offerings that come along in those first critical weeks or two. You just got to be able to do that. You stay in. You hunker down. You don't go to that party. You don't go to that bar. You don't tell yourself that you'll be able to stand at the boring birthday party and sip lemonade with, like, the four-year-old and be totally fine doing that. So you have to understand your limits. That's tip number two.
0: Wow. That's I mean, that's a great one. And honestly, that kind of gets to the core of what not drinking is all about for me on on some level, which is kind of reflecting on how to make peace with living with yourself without the social lubrication and the kind of volatility of, of alcohol and the You know, welcome warmth and, um, I guess fuzziness that comes along with it. So you kind of, here you are on earth dealing with a society that's relatively complicated, giving you challenges that are relatively hard to overcome. And alcohol might help kind of, you know, get you away from remembering those, but it doesn't necessarily help you solve them. So that solitary. Uh, engagement with yourself is a good idea. I, I I concur. I don't know if that was good radio there, but I totally concur. Is there a round three? I'm always looking for a bing-bang bongo. Is there a round three, or is that it?
1: Well, look, we've been doing bing-bang bongos since you know sophomore year at the very very least. Um, so, of course, there is. Okay, good. Round, round, round three is very simple. You have to bathe yourself in exercise because one of the fundamental newtonian principles of life is that usually if you're drinking you're not exercising and if you're exercising you're not drinking and no i don't count the fucking like hipster kickball games in williamsburg where you stand in a grassy field with like a 12 pack and run for like 10 meters every two hours so you have to understand that exercise is the direct mortal enemy of alcohol the more you exercise, the less you drink, and the more you exercise, the less you want to drink. Mm. So for me, when I'm really getting into things, I want my life to have at a minimum three hours of relatively intense exercise every single day. So let's say that roughly speaking we're trying to hit about 20 hours a week. Wow. Now me personally, I like to do a half hour of running in light weights in the morning, And the same in the evening, right before bed, I like to do a full-on one-hour boxing class and also a one-hour yoga session. And that's how I get my three hours, in addition to walking three to five miles. Wow. But everyone's different. Some might go for, you know, three and a half hours. Some might go for one and a half hours. It doesn't matter. But I do know that during every one of those minutes when I'm sweating in a yoga studio or punching a heavy bag or lifting some sort of barbell, uh, I know that each of those moments is one where i 'm not hoisting a can to my lips,
0: wow, yeah, I mean that and that that last point is so key like you you it's difficult to physically drink while you're exercising unless you're in that kickball game, so man we gotta do we gotta do a kickball league check in There is a kickball league outside of my house that will start in may um there is kickball games in the park five days a week, there are Six teams playing three games, and then they swap and play a second game. So all doubleheaders, full of thirty-five to forty-year-olds. We're talking like 15, 20 people a team. T-shirts, you know, hats. They have wow. coordinated cheers. It is big business. They're all around forty. Now, how
1: many? How many of them don't have beards?
0: Uh, well, you know, there, it's like very gay friendly. So that's not to say that beards and gay friendly don't go together, but it's like there might be a little bit more manicured look depending on the team. I mean, it's all the different stratas of the – of. there's definitely bearded teams, but there's also maybe, you know, more the, the clean cut teams. There's like the – it might be more of a tattoo crowd than a beard crowd. Um, you know, you've got kind of like some ex-high school jocks mixed in with – um some like fat people it's all happening right but the fundamental thing that connects them all is cases and cases of cheap yellow beer i mean these guys are getting for lack of a better term completely fucked up during these games and uh That's it's a great term it's fascinating it, you know and then of course they're all just driving home their kids are there people are smoking weed publicly in the park and you know on on the one hand on paper, if I was 25 and was told that I could be 40 and doing all of that in some city in the country, I'd ask where and how do I get there. On the other hand, I do think that there is something a little bit grotesque about um, just this constant affiliation of competition with beer. It's almost like they've gone from the sports bar watching the NCAA tournament to the kickball field where they're watching their own tournament and they haven't, you know, given the drinking up, they've just continued that same level of like binge drinking meets competition on the screen with binge drinking meets competition in their real life. So, I think they have a great time. I don't think they care what I think. Um, but it is a subculture and uh in a way it's cool, right? I mean, there are worse things in the world that are happening than people interacting face-to-face in the natural world on long summer nights in an athletic setting. Um, but I would say that from sort of the liberal, sort of quasi-hippie, free-love, free-life uh, perspective that they're all projecting out into the universe, the level of just, like, can consumption is a little bit of a... Um, dichotomy, misnomer, even maybe hypocrisy to what they seem to be standing for, but I don't know. Um, and on the uh, on a shorter note, it's always funny to watch people who are 40, weight, 40 pounds uh, overweight like aggressively compete with one another. So I don't really know how that sticks in there, but it was worth saying. Hopefully you were entertained.
1: Landline.
0: Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Landline Podcast is brought to you by... Surfers on the Oregon coast putting full body suits on and getting into the water on January 19th under the full blood moon or whatever everyone was tweeting about. By the way, if you're a surfer on the Oregon coast and you're driving from Portland, that hour and 20 minutes could go by with Landline Podcast. Surfers on the Oregon coast, very impressive. Very Landline. Landline Podcast is also brought to you by Screen Free Saturday. You shut the phones off on Friday nights. You wake up. You crack a cookbook. You make pancakes with some strawberries that were frozen from the summertime. You read books on the toilet. And you even crack the New Yorker for the first time in six months. You take a walk. You see your family. You feel more relaxed. And finally, by the independent used audio equipment store. In this case, Astro Audio PDX. Donnie and your goth. LBGTQ, business partner, what a service, what an experience, Google Maps couldn't find it, a referral from an already defunct audio store was the only way I knew about you in the first place, and your markup on Chinese shit made me feel like I was doing the right thing by shopping with you. So thank you. All right, back to the show. Landline. All right, well, so that's that's where we're at, folks. We're at this juncture in the in the year talking to someone who's kind of the 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 king of obsession one way or the other he's drinking himself but we're not um and and, you know another topic that you know so much about Saul is, is boxing and and that leads into kind of without my drinking there's been a lot more time to exercise so I've been doing uh you know my ultimate frisbee with pod which podcasting uh listeners have heard about before another podcast topic on its own um but I decided to join a boxing gym at your at your recommendation, so you know what what is it about boxing gyms from your point of view that should be attractive to people because there's a lot that's attractive to me now that I've stepped foot in them yet and when, and you want to know about my experience, but just you know in general, what is it about a boxing gym that that you think people should consider
1: Well, I mean, I guess you know it's a, I was probably first drawn to them um for basically the same reason that I stopped drinking in the fall instead of January 1st, because I was going to a small liberal arts college and the walls were closing in, and I found a boxing gym that had nobody else from that college going to it, but a lot of other people from all over the place. And I needed that. It was to coin an entirely new phrase, a wonderful breath of fresh air for me to experience. And so originally, that's how I was kind of drawn to the gym itself as just a new setting and some variety in my life. And Now, obviously, as a sport, I'd been an enthusiastic consumer of it, watcher of it, uh, and even a sort of amateur uh, historian of sorts for many years before that. But that's how I first walked into a boxing gym.
0: Yeah, and it, it's probably likely to be true that you're going to see your your friends from the boxing gym less at your yuppie grocery store than your friends from your yoga studio. So I think there's something to that. And like the whole idea of not being a sheep and kind of going against the current that we've set out for this podcast, there is an element of being able to go do something with a group of people that you're not going to see in all of your other normal circles. And that's certainly the case with my boxing gym. So my boxing gym is in North Portland. Um, It's in this kind of little hamlet called Kenton, which is, you know, yet to be gentrified fully. Um, it has a giant Paul Bunyan statue at the head of Main Street, um, with a huge axe. It used to be a combination of kind of mill workers and meat packers that worked and all or lived there in all these different little um mill homes, tiny little, you know, bungalow two house two two bedroom houses. And so this boxing gym is on a second floor above the Kenton Club, which is a dive bar that's been around from the 50s and is decidedly dark. I don't think there's a window that faces the street. Decidedly dark, dirty, authentic. I'm sure that um it could be relatively scary at some point. So Going into the boxing gym, you know, wooden steps, upstairs, it stinks like hockey gloves or lacrosse gloves, if you know what that smells like, or boxing gloves, if you know what a boxing gym smells like. Um, Really, no thrills, or no frills, no thrills, there are thrills, no frills, Um, woman-owned. The only two teachers I've had so far are women. My first class is 16 people, and 13 of them are women. And I think around 10 of those women are gay. So, I mean, right away, I'm excited. That's my kind of crowd. Um, Never underestimate the value of being in a classroom setting with women. They just seem to be able to perform um, better in those situations where they're better listeners, um, especially when you're exercising, they're not so macho. Woman owned, woman run, women attendees, it's a big gay community. I can tell already. Whether or not it's a gay pickup spot is a question of mine, and that's something we should get into, because um, it feels like that could be the case. Um, and you know, you're just you're in there with everyone else. You're new at something. You 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 have no idea how to do it. Um, they're wrapping your hands for you. They're giving you a set of used gloves that are off the shelf that have been sprayed with a can of Lysol. There's no app to check in. You know, I paid with cash. Um, it feels good that I'm supporting these people. It's kind of cold in there. There's dirty windows. They have sparring events on Saturday nights that members of the gym are invited to come watch. Um, you know, you start off with very simple technique and you have to build your way into the third and fourth classes. I'm not allowed to be in the boxing workout class yet until I get my technique down. And in a way, I did yoga a lot. I think yoga is great. I think all the exercises people are doing are great. In today's world, a uh, you know kind of a, a, a ramshackle but well run boxing gym on the second floor above above a dive bar is kind of the perp- perfect antithesis to all of this. You know, sign up online, text update, check in, buy the package, buy the gear. Buy the you know one hundred and ten dollar um, Lululemon see through leggings, all this crap. It's all status. It's all consumption. It's all it's all data capture, right? I mean, there's got to be data scientists who are helping all of these competition, Peloton, and you know, um, spinning, and all these people work together to figure out who the target demo and and meanwhile, I just find this place by Googling. Thanks, Google. There are uses for the internet. I like it because it's close to me. I drive up there and I find like a sort of a rundown lesbian boxing gym that I get to join. I mean, could there be anything better? So um, that's what uh, I'm at. And just
1: to give you the diametric opposite, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a company called Orange Theory Fitness.
0: No, but I want to hear all about it. Sounds like Orange Kool-Aid or something.
1: Well, I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about, that Orange Theory Fitness, the whole point is that every single tiny bit is data-driven and computer chip-controlled, and you literally go in and you sit on your rowing machine, and you have a sensor hooked up to you that projects your numbers up on a giant screen so that anyone in the class can look up and just measure themselves based on how other people are doing, and... To me, it's sort of the most terrible invention in the entire world. It's like um, a sort of Chinese dystopia merged with, like, a Rocky movie or something like that. Wow. So, to me, that's what everything you're talking about this, Jim, the the lack of the sign-in process, the cash payment, the um, basic fundamental equipment that you could have been using in the 1700s um, and, in fact, would have been... Everything about it is amazing, and part of why it's amazing is because it's in direct opposition to this new age of app-driven exercise that we're being inundated with.
0: And, you know, there's one cool thing about it that came the first day is you have to partner up. Somebody has gloves and somebody has mitts, right? So I think when people have been asking me about it, I've been telling, I joined a boxing gym. You know, the first thing they think is that, like, I get in a ring and box. Well, that's not the case. And the teacher who is the owner of the gym the first night said, you never have to get hit ever. And you could be, you know, to everybody in the class, you could be in this gym for the next five years and you would never get put into a ring if that's what you want to choose to do. Um, But one thing that they do make you do is they partner you up with someone of your similar height in the class and you have to stand basically like an arm's length away from each other because that's how much your punch goes. And you um, what somebody gets mitts and somebody gets gloves and the mitts are those flat padded, you know, slappers that are somebody is helping you with your technique by sort of defending against the punch and giving you a little bit of resistance at the end of the punch and showing you with a little target on the mitts where to hit. And The point of that is not just that that's how it goes, but you have to be with almost a dance partner, with the whole class, and you have to fight through, I've already found this to be the case, fight through a lot of interpersonal issues that naturally come with getting partnered up with someone, which truly never happens in an exercise like yoga. You really are kind of in it together with your partner because you have to switch the mitts and the gloves and you are responsible for giving each other a good workout and making the 15 bucks you paid worth it or you know, whatever your monthly fee is. And so it's awkward because this is a person you don't know. You don't know how really how to communicate with. You're not necessarily going to be satisfied with their performance because you're both beginners. So the, using the mitts is actually kind of difficult. You want to give a certain amount of resistance but not too much. And you want to hold it at a certain height. And you want to make sure that you are kind of, you know, creating a rhythm and a tempo for your partner who has the gloves on. Well, that's not something that everyone picks up right away, especially when they're working with someone that they've never worked with before. And it is almost like dancing. And there's some frustration there, and that forces you to have communication. And guess what? Nobody's got phones. You're communicating face-to-face, and you have to see exactly what the other person's reaction is going to be. And you have to figure out how to tell a stranger how to do something differently for you right then and there without either pissing them off or making them check out or getting them, um, you know, whatever, wanting a new partner, whatever the reaction could be, positive or negative. There have been some times where I've already found like my own personal discipline really isn't very good because I'm disappointed by the partner I get put with because they're just not that good at what they do. They don't have good hand eye. They're not kind of my athletic ability. And yet I have to sit with them for 45 minutes and learn through that. And that's a great skill that I think we're losing as a people. So there's a lot there in just the idea of here we are, you know, working with one another and responsible to another one another. And the coach isn't going to come around and mediate. Um, the coach is kind of like, This is a boxing gym. You guys got to talk it out. If you need it higher, if you need it lower, if you need it faster, if you need it slower, you got to talk. So there's that too.
1: Totally. Totally. I think that's part of the fun about the workout. And I think that, yeah, when you're doing combos on mitts, for example, as soon as you start switching off, you realize that if anything, it's probably more challenging handling the mitts than throwing the punches because they're really tiny, nuanced details that you can do right and make it a pleasure for your partner or do wrong and irritate them and so yeah i completely agree with what you're saying
0: and oh it's always fascinating that moment in life where you know you have kind of the less fun job but it's on you to be better at it you know that's definitely a challenge it's not you know whether it's being a waiter, or you know, serving the dinner instead of eating it, or I don't know, being the ammo guy instead of the one shooting the gun. I we'd have to think of other way, other ways where somebody gets to be the person who kind of gets the the fireworks at the end, but the the per, the the opposite person is the one who's doing all the work. That's really what mitts are. You have to be more concentrated, more on time more willing to work for your partner and you're not even the one who's getting to work on your punches right then. So it's kind of a fascinating thing to, to experience. Um, and, you know, in this world where we all sort of hate each other and listen to podcasts and text and stay in our circles and don't make friends with people in our community because we're on text chains with our friends from high school and college and live on Facebook and all that shit. It is great to be thrown into a class with a bunch of people. I don't care if it's boxing or cooking or spreadsheets or whatever. There is so much empathy that comes with going into a classroom setting with other people and learning along with them. And you treat them with respect and concern, and you have to work on your listening skills. And you have to work on how you present your point of view when you're speaking up because of the group dynamic. And that's just something that uh, you you can never underestimate. I'm so judgmental of people walking out on the street, but those very same people could be in my boxing class. And I really am sort of disarmed with all my anger and have to respect them and listen to them and try hard with them and realize that a lot of them, regardless of how they look or their age or their fitness, might be better than me at boxing. Like, fat people can be really good at boxing, um, and they can do things that I will have to take months to get to. And so that forces me to respect people that I would normally sort of, uh, you know, out of hand believe to be superior as. So that's a pretty powerful thing too. Couldn't
1: agree more. Couldn't agree more. And it's kind of fun and exciting when you walk into a gym and realize that, The person who you might have thought was, like, a um, terrifying juggernaut is, like, completely clueless. And the person who you utterly ignored is unworthy of any real attention is, like, absolutely fantastic and might have been doing it for the last 20 years. Yeah. Landline.
0: For those of you enjoying the hot boxing talk, there's more at the end in a bonus segment. But for now, it's Significant Bother plus Scam Jam.
3: You just caught me. Honey. Yeah.
0: This is your husband.
3: Hi. I said you just caught me. I was about to turn the TV on.
0: I'm calling from upstairs. I'm doing my podcast again.
3: <clears throat> Back at it.
0: So can you explain for the listeners what Significant Bother was in its in its best iteration?
3: I can't say that I can. <laughs>
0: All right, well, we're bringing Anna, my lovely wife, co-podcaster, critic at large for Landline Podcast on, because we think we need a little reset on what Landline is all about. She hears me talk about the podcast all the time, and what did you say to me the other night while you were playing, like, World 8-9 on Mario?
3: I asked, um, what the fuck is Landline anyway?
0: I think you said, I'm completely lost on your podcast.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I did say that also, but it boils down to the fact that I I couldn't keep straight what, mm. when you say landline, what it means. Like, is it specifically about cell phones versus landlines? Or is it about everything you gripe about, which, you know, I don't know if, our listeners have a lot of time, but you know privileged white people, um, baby boomers, um, the environment getting destroyed, people not holding eye contact, things like that so i I was hoping that you could help me just like and for the sake of the podcast, drill down on what when you say that's not a landline, what do you mean?
0: And did you think my answers were good?
3: They were enlightening, but there was never what I really wanted, which was a thesis full stop. I wanted a sentence that is the definition of landline, because once that is out in the universe, then what landline podcast is and what it can be will be so much easier to define.
0: Right. Well, so it turns out landline isn't just anti-cell phone. It's not just anti-iPhone. It's not just hoping everybody will get a landline in their home. What I'm talking about is ultimately a constant push by marketers and producers and industry People who want to continue to drive the bottom line of their companies to reinvent and, you know, technologize everything in our world in in the hopes of captivating a new audience and continuing to make sales. And so that seems probably at at first blush so counterintuitive to the title and everything I've been doing for years with this podcast. But
3: I think what it boiled down to you you just made a lot of good points, but you're still not saying the sentence that I need to hear, which is, and of course you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but landline is challenging the blind adoption of convenience.
0: Yeah, because landline phones weren't more convenient and they weren't more sexy and they didn't like get you dates on tinder and they couldn't tell you where to go but the world with which they existed seems not only more quaint and calm and you know beautiful to me but also forced people to accomplish things outside of convenience that made them better people and, and made them easier to rely on and more interesting to talk to and um, more part of kind of a, a, a human condition where there was camaraderie and understanding and belief and civics and a sense of history. You know, now everything... I think, Go ahead.
3: I think another name for landline could have just been internet because that <laughs> is truly the demarcation that you're talking about. As soon as we could all turn to our devices and the behemoth answer machine that is Google, like we lost a person to person, a curiosity, a Harry Larrabee embracing Uh, lifestyle it 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 turned away from um discourse and turned toward personal destiny making and planning and it's like all on the individual to map their path it stopped being about getting that random phone call to mix our metaphors even further It, it it stopped being about walking into that random restaurant it it asking
0: asking for directions
3: it, yes, exactly, so I think um Hitchhiking. is like a great name,
0: but we're also but talking, I mean, give me five more minutes of banter about this. The significant bother is exactly what we're doing. You are the one who is my sort of fiercest critic, and you um are married to me, so you're my significant bother so so. Okay, but also we have the fact that I'm doing this on a landline phone, that our home has a landline, that I wish all homes had a landline, that there's some sense of hoping that people will call the landline 503-894-8480 and participate and leave messages on the landline, not just text in or blog in or email in or tweet in about how their sandwich was overcooked or like how they took a big shit, but... You know, call and share. We're trying to create a community of people who are kind of awakening to the fact that this technology is making their life more crazy and worse and, and, and less fun to be a part of. And so the landline is like this, you know, a phone booth on a hill in our virtual minds that they can call and it rings and maybe I'll answer and maybe I won't. And if I don't, they'll have to leave a message and they won't have it planned and they can't delete it when they're writing it. They have to just go and they have to say what's on their mind and they're forced to be great in that moment. And like the fact that, you know, I'm talking to old friends in long conversations about things that we're comfortable speaking about is hopefully giving a window into that like kitchen to kitchen landline conversation that would go on between families or great friends or sisters or, you know, whoever when they were just having a long Sunday call because they hadn't been in text contact every day for the last month.
3: Okay. But the part that gets that we need to just breeze over is that the podcast goes up on the internet and people listen to it on their cell phones.
0: But so, what do we, I mean, what am I to do? Like, so on one end of the spectrum, I can go hang myself. I mean, on another end of the spectrum, I can create records and send them out, right? But. I mean at some point you want to have a voice. I'm not on social media. Um I tried to do that funny thing with Yelp that that I sort of kicked the can, but like you know, I do have a a couple hundred listeners without ever promoting this on the internet. That's something to hang my hat on. Um but I agree with you. At least now I'm recording on this new recorder that's not attached to the internet and it's not and there's not a computer on in front of me. I'm staring at the the my dirty office floor and I'm forced to you know, perform for an audience of none. I can't get any text from anybody in the middle of the podcast. I'm trying, but, I mean, it's a good criticism. Okay. What What would I do? What, what, what would I do?
3: What I, I think it begs of your stance is less fatalism and more about balance and doing the best you can and, like, what you said about this is also about bringing more spontaneity and fun into our lives is something that we should really like lean into as the landline listeners. We're not just on this respite, like hearing Alex gripe about things he hates. We all have the opportunity to like lean in to this community and have more fun and try to get back to a different way of communicating and Um, promoting awe and wonderment in our lives. And I think that that is a message that can get lost pretty easily in the kind of doomsday vibe that anti-technology, anti-internet seems to have. I think it's selling your own nuanced view and definition of landline short to be pigeonholed as that curmudgeon. So shed it all right well the fact that people have to listen to it on their phones and that it goes up on the internet like what you want is for people to just have more fun and be more quote-unquote landline with their lives and you're you're the pied piper helping us all to find our way to that
1: landline
0: and the saga continues with my beautiful wife love love hating the pod Well, let's turn to one of my favorite segments, and maybe yours, Scam Jam. If you haven't heard the show before, this is when I get a call from a telemarketer and keep them on the phone for as long as I humanly can. Landline.
1: Landline. It's time for Scam Jam. When Alex
2: keeps a telemarketer on the phone until they're ashamed of themselves. Landline. This is an automated call from Microsoft Security Essentials. We found security changes has made on your computer. We have noticed special login ID established their connection on your computer from foreign location and trying to access your credentials. If you have made these security changes on your computer, then please ignore this notice. Or if you find it suspicious activity, then please do not access any of your personal credentials, such as your email, banking, and shopping on your computer, and take your computer to your nearby Microsoft service store. If you would like to talk to Microsoft Online, Representative, please press 9. Or if you want to call back... This call is being transferred to our technical support engineer. Please be on the line.
4: Yeah, thanks for calling Microsoft. How may I assist you?
2: I'm calling about the suspicious activity on my computer...
4: All right. So uh, did you uh, download something uh, yesterday? Uh, did you receive a message?
2: Yesterday was Monday. I did I did download something on Monday, yes.
4: All right. So right now, are you near nearby computer? So let me help you out. Computer on?
2: My computer is on. Okay.
4: So do one thing. Get on the internet. Get on the Google.
2: Okay. On the Google.
4: You have to type w dot okay, help me dot net.
2: Okay, I'm there.
4: Okay, now hit on search. I'm sorry? Now hit on search.
2: Okay, what do I search?
4: www.helpme.net. dot help me dot net.
2: So you want me to search www.helpme.net in the Google box?
4: Yes, you have to search in the Google box.
2: Okay, so instead of just putting that URL into the web browser, I should search it in the Google box.
4: Web browser.
2: Okay. Okay, great, I'm there.
4: Now, what did you see on the screen?
2: Yeah. Establish support connection.
4: Yeah, put your name. Yeah, put your name in the name box. You oh.
2: Put your first name in the name box. Okay.
4: And who is this? Uh, we are the John uh, Microsoft Online
2: Oh, you're John. John, where are you from?
4: Uh, we are from uh, Phoenix. Oh, Phoenix.
2: That's a nice area. Have you been there long?
4: Uh, yeah. So you put support. Put the support key. Okay. Two nine two. Okay. Three one two. Okay,
2: Okay. hey John, so I work for the FBI. Who do you work for? Landline.
0: All right, thanks so much for listening. Spread the word. Leaflet, homing pigeon, business card, T-shirt, somebody make some up. Landline Podcast, 503-894-8480. Here's a bonus segment for you. Saul on the history of boxing. See you next time. Landline thought we'd talk a little bit about boxing history i don't know how much we want to do on that but you know you've been a boxing fan forever and you know what is it about boxing because i think that there is an interesting anti-violence stance right now in the country which is completely founded with all the shootings and you know abuse and people getting locked in basements and all that crap but um Boxing seems to be something that today's world will immediately say is to fighting, but it's so much more than that and kind of is going out of fashion. There's nothing Landline like likes more than figuring out what stocks are dropping and buying them while they're cheap. So um, do you want to do a little stint on boxing here?
1: No, well, I mean, the interesting thing about it is that for a sport that people associate with violence, um, and it certainly had its origins in violence, I mean, it can be traced back, literally several thousand years to the Greeks and Romans who would wrap uh, things called a cestus, a leather uh, spike-studded strap around their fists and turn it into essentially, you know, a legal um, activity, sort of gladiatorial in nature. Um, and then going, you know, further and further into, you know, the U.K. in past centuries, and for hundreds of years, people, when you talked about boxing or whatever passed for it would simply stand there and bash each other and literally the whole point of it was you weren't allowed to move your feet and you weren't allowed to like flinch and if you fell over you had to get back up and then eventually one person couldn't and they were the loser and then in the mid-1700s around the time that like American colonialists, colonialists were first thinking about ideas like freedom and equality and not being part of Britain Uh, Meanwhile, over in Britain, a fellow named Jack Broughton, who was born, I believe, in 1703, um, decided, wait a second, I want to be able to do this, but I don't want to get bashed and battered if I don't have to. And he came up with these novel ideas of like, maybe instead of a sport, about pure physical beating the other person down, um, ideas like footwork and defensive motions and blocking and movement can come into play. And so you started to see the sport codified under new rules about halfway through the eighteenth century. Which is to me a pretty cool thing.
0: So what what uh sorry, I was just mesmerized by, by your by your take and I thought it would go on forever. I was loving the history. So
1: Well, I easily could.
0: <laughs> well, so how do you know so much about boxing?
1: Well, I mean, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of it is just by reading as much as I possibly could about it and by studying works such as *Boxiana*, written by Pierce Egan, um, and subsequently quoted by the New Yorker writer and boxing authority, A.J. Liebling, uh, describing boxing in its early days. And there's fascinating stuff there. Um, the first Jew who ever met a king in England um, was named Daniel Mendoza in the 1700s, um, he happened to meet a rather controversial king, King George III, who also was responsible for declaring war on the country that would become America. Uh, but the only reason Mendoza met him was because he was the most famous boxer of his time, and his athletic ability got him a face-to-face introduction with the King of England for the first time in recorded history. Wow. So so to me, the sport you know became you know, started to create, you know, opportunities and excitement um, that literally resulted in, you know, history being made in many different ways. Um, There are fights that American slaves were literally shipped backwards across the Atlantic to England to do battle with England's most famous boxers in the early 1800s, Um, going all the way through, you know, uh, Sullivan and the rise of bare-knuckle boxing in America, you know, in the early uh, 1900s, late 1800s, you know, and then eventually giving rise to the modern-day heavyweight champions of the world. So, so, and to me, you know, it's a sport that's very much wrapped up not just in the history of itself, but in the history of nations and kings and wars and peace and conflict and all kinds of things that we associate with, with a much larger tapestry.
0: And the modern-day sport, which is been spoken about ad nauseum by people as smart as you on the subject and much smarter than me, um, has kind of gone out of fashion most recently and turned into part of the kind of sports industrial complex as MMA, you know, what like HBO boxing, which I know you watched as a kid growing up with your dad and your brother and was kind of the thing of the 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, for cable subscribers, that was a way to watch boxing on Friday night. Friday nights from AC and Vegas and all those places. That's now ended, right? I mean, the last HBO boxing event happened a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah, it, that, was, that was kind of a uh, poignant moment, I think, for any fan of the sport, uh, because HBO had been essentially the face of boxing, you know, going back to really, um, you know, decades. Uh, ever since boxing left mainstream television in the 50s, 60s, you know, the era of free, you know, championship fight. And HBO ushered it through, you know, this kind of next golden age, and they put on basically every fight and fighter that you or anyone else has heard of, you know, for decades. And, you know, them them shutting down was, was not a happy moment, I think, for any true fan of the sport. At the same time, that being said... There's other places who are embracing boxing, everything from streaming services like DAZN to um, you know, major platforms like ESPN and Fox Sports is getting back into it. And so you do see you know, a dying and a rebirth at the same time, that even while certain places that are iconic are turning their back, uh, other avenues and opportunities are opening up. And you could argue right now that boxing is actually more mainstream than at any time in the last, let's say thirty years.
0: Wow. All right.
1: In terms of it in terms of its availability on television and in terms of the statistical chance of you turning on your T V to a sports channel on like a Friday or Saturday and seeing some kind of decent to high quality matchup coming on on a major network. On but a it, major cable network.
0: But it's relatively regarded as, you know, down market, right? I mean it's kind of it has been for and I'm not saying it's it's true, and I'm not saying that it's a you know a, a fair marketing of the other sports over boxing, but the NBA, the NFL, baseball, hockey, soccer are now all golf are all now senior to boxing in sort of the hierarchy, and the, there are hardcore fans who will get together and pay for the pay per view, um, which now seems you know. 20 years ago seemed like such advanced technology and now seems like so quaint and landline and, and, you know, a a party of 20 people getting together and splitting a pay-per-view and making a bunch of food and watching the fights is so, I would say, uh, even,
1: how about that word? Fun.
0: Yeah. Fun and community oriented and normal and healthy, um, versus, All of the kind of like watching, streaming with tweeting on the side and constant updates coming from your phone, next-gen stats, gambling on DraftKings, blah, 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 blah. So it's – but really they've done a good job or at least maybe that's just my own information sources telling me this, that boxing is sort of, you know, for people who like pit bull fights. So – what happened there? Like, what was the marketing problem there? And, and I guess how do we connect this back to me boxing? I know how, but it's just interesting how, you know, me boxing could be considered kind of like dirty and scuzzy and, uh, you know, lowbrow and, um, you know, all about violence when the reality is, and I can say this for all the people I've joined uh, the gym with and the people I shared class with, it's all about sort of like bettering yourself having better discipline, listening, executing something that's really hard and doesn't come naturally to you, protecting yourself, moving fluidly through life, working with other people, like I said before. So, I don't know, wrap all those points up and and tell us why, how did they succeed? Maybe just because those other sports were geared to make more money?
1: Well, I think that's part of it. You know, boxing, boxing has always struggled with the attitudes of the public um going going back to 17 and 1800s england i mean where the fights were literally often illegal and you'd have thousands of spectators meeting up at a pre-disclosed spot to enjoy something that they weren't supposed to be doing you know they were kind of sneaking around for it you know going all the way up to you know just for example it wasn't even legalized in new jersey till the curly Law passed in, I think, you know, 1915 or 1918 or something like that. So, you know, there's there's an ebb and flow, and periodically you have people looking at this sport and saying it's barbaric, it's terrible, we shouldn't be doing it, we shouldn't be allowing people to do it. And then decades later, it's still going on. So maybe it's a little like, since since our podcast is kind of a nice mix of boxing and alcohol today... You know, maybe it's a little like prohibition, that there are times when people are going to get really angry at something and say, we can't totally control this, and we want to, and we need to, and then maybe a kind of uh, reverse reaction, where they step away and say, doing this and trying to control it caused more harm than good. Ultimately, it's a sport. And I think, you know, as people learn more about, you know, head damage and brain damage and the... NHL or the NFL or, you know, the different things that can go wrong, you know, with steroids in different sports. And, you know, I think ultimately people are kind of understanding that boxing is not this unique and malignant villain towering above the entire landscape of athletics, but is instead part and parcel one piece in one sport in the landscape. So I think that that's something that people nowadays understand more than probably at any other time previously
0: well you know shocker boxing is not as bad as we thought it was when you compare it to a bunch of 20 year olds going to a you know madden tournament to play video games against each other in a shopping mall in florida until one of them gets pissed off that he lost and goes and gets an automatic weapon from his car and shoot somebody. It's like, we're so... It's well,
1: that or of 14-year-old bashing his head into the head of another 14-year-old at football practice for, right. you know, 8 to 16 years.
0: Yeah, right. I took a pretty dramatic jump there. But still, it's like all this stuff we have, I, you know, I was doing the technology thing there because, you know, basically it all boils down to somehow people got away with saying and still say, I still... See still hear ads for this that vaping was somehow healthier for you than smoking cigarettes somehow a electronic cartridge burning a water vapor manufactured in a factory full of chemicals and you know jammed into a single use polluting plastic pen that was okay. That was starting to be advertised. That was better than cancer or excuse me, that was better than, than uh cigarettes. Whereas cigarettes are, you know, a paper wrapped dried tobacco leaf which grew out of the earth and, you know, were smoked the way that things have been smoked for literally thousands of years. So it's just we're just we're so confused. We're so confused about what it's so,
1: totally. I wanna know I wanna know I don't want to know if vaping is bad for you today. I want to know if vaping is bad for you 50 years from now, when they've had time to conduct a study on the millions of people who are now going to spend be the first humans in history to spend a lifetime vaping.
0: Vaping is bad.
1: That's and, and that's when and that's when I want a scientist to tell me what vaping does to a body.
0: Why do we need a scientist? Five though? years after
1: it became popular. Do
0: we need a scientist? Like if you see a pile of coal burning thick black smoke going up into the sky. Do we need a scientist to tell us that that's not good for the atmosphere? Why are we always waiting around for scientists to tell us the studies? You and I could go get a green apple or like bubblegum flavored jewel, you know, electronic cigarette from one of those vape shops, sit in our car, huff on it. And just the feeling we would have 20 minutes later would tell us that it was way worse for us than smoking an entire pack of cigarettes back to back. We don't need a scientist. Yeah, and,
1: and without and without sounding like a curmudgeon, I take pride in the fact that I've never inhaled a vape hit of nicotine. And I hope I never do. Yeah, it's, disgusting. There's, there's plenty of bad things to do that are much more fun.
0: Disgusting. If my high school son is vaping, I'll go buy him a pack of cigarettes. It's like and, and th- <laughs> throw the vape into the into the trash. All right. Well, um, what should we talk about next? So that so I guess you know. I'll cut all these little interim sections out if I need to. Um, So that's it. you don't need to. So that's it. Um, Not that's it for the pod, but that's that's what's going on. I am a sheep this year. I find myself so unsheep-like in following, or at least I say I'm so unsheep-like in following with everybody else, that I did stop drinking in January. I did join a fitness center. It is a boxing gym. Um, and you know, I'm going to see how long it goes. It's all about weight loss. It's all about a clear mind. It's all about feeling good. It's all about having energy. It's all about executing more and doing the podcast instead of, you know, drinking beer and watching TV at night. We've also taken off Netflix and Amazon from our weekday schedule. So no more just, you know, doing an hour and a half of Mrs. Maisel, which is an awful show anyways. Um to lull ourselves to sleep, forcing us to either channel surf on the broadcast antenna or play a board game or read our books or um, play Nintendo, which I got my wife for Christmas this year. They did a relaunch of the Super Nintendo. We can talk about that on another pod, but trying to just dial it back. um, And I don't know, you know, I think that the landline New Year's resolution is just to continue to get a handle on technology use in my life and I got to say my smartphone is definitely continuing to have a hold on me so that is one area where I don't succeed um at least in the first 2 weeks of January it's it's definitely my smartphone owns me even without social media even without you know um a lot of the uses that other people are using the the work email on my smartphone is really having a A negative effect so oh um, yeah
1: you can you can't do that so you just I'm, i'm still waiting for you to read the book sapiens that i gave you written by the israeli philosopher Yuval noah harari and this is a man who wrote his first book and sold 10 million copies of it and talks about how technology companies might literally destroy not just the society we live in but are literally the human race as how sapiens are actually defined and it's flown around to every tech company in the world to lecture and just basically stand there telling them how dangerous and terrible they are and they can't get enough and eat it up Mm. and he just and he just doesn't have a smartphone and he meditates for two hours a day and he knows more, he's far from a luddite. He probably knows more about technology and its uses than almost any human being on the planet.
0: All right, I got a. Well, I have a seven hundred page Tom Wolfe book that I'm trying to finally finish, so it's it's next on my desk. Oh,
1: Charlie, Charlie Corker. Yeah,
0: exactly. Corker, right? The uh, A Man in Full, which is good, but just so epic. All right, so we're. I'll read Sapiens, and that's the that's the landline book of the month. We'll be reviewing Sapiens in February with Saul, so that can be the landline book of the month. How's your technology, like, how do you feel your technology use is going, Saul? I mean, you're, you're, you are you seem to be in a pretty good headspace in life in general, but can you get tough on yourself in any area? I mean, do you care? Do you not care? You don't have your work email on your phone? You just wait until you open your laptop? Or how does all that work?
1: Yeah, I, I try to really avoid the, the work email on the phone. It's terrible. I use, I use my phone too much. It drives me crazy. Um, and I've, started recently uh, because, you know, I think it's not even when you turn the phone on, it's having the phone nearby. It's it's being able to reach out and touch it. It's literally the tactile feeling of a phone in your hand is addictive in its own right before the screen ever lights up. You know, it's having a phone within eyesight. If you look over and you can see it there, um, that's when the addiction to me starts. So what I've recently started doing, because, you know, I write and it's kind of, an important exercise to be able to try to focus on that. So I, I've been playing around with it cause I, I use it too much. Um, I try these days to put my phone on, do not disturb and put it in another room for like the first four hours of my morning. So I can sit down and just be at the computer and try to do my thing and do my writing without having it as a physical presence, let alone a technological presence. But yeah. you know, I, I struggle with it every day. I think, in all honesty, most people, or me anyway, struggle more with the urge to touch their phone more than, like, the urge to, like, crack a beer at 11 a.m. from the refrigerator or the urge to do a vape hit of a cinnamon berry blast flavor or the urge to do any other thing that we would associate with unhealthy behavior.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: It's a problem. I don't know today is not the day where I'm gonna put out the solutions my my mind is just too clouded with getting back into work and being surrounded by technology so i'm I'm losing that battle and I hope that as I uh pod more and more this year i I get better about it but you know there was the vitamin water challenge people probably saw where vitamin water was gonna give somebody a hundred grand to take a year off from a smartphone, what that has to do with vitamin water other than putting them back into the minds of everybody who forgot about them because they went out of fashion 5 years ago and it turns out is just a sugar flavored watered in a plastic bottle that's getting shipped all over the world in gas guzzling vehicles and planes, I don't know, but um you know, someone won that, but the only way to submit yourself to that that project which a bunch of people told me I should was to you know do a hashtag on your Instagram and your Twitter. So kind of wrap your head around that. You're asking people right. who are social media influencers to post why they would live without a smartphone for a year, but the people who can do it are ones who use their smartphone all the time. So I guess that's a play there. Um, you know, there is the put it in a box when you walk into your house. There is the... All this new Apple tells you how much you're using it, blah, 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 blah. But I just, I feel like I'm losing the war. I'm losing the war and I need to make some big steps to change. And, you know, I can't, because of my job, I cannot get rid of my smartphone for when I travel and need it. I don't think, but maybe I can. I mean, I'm the guy who has gotten rid of their smartphone twice and gone back to Nokia bar phones only to then go back to smartphones. So I move across the country less than I get rid of smartphones. So I don't know. I mean, what's my big move this year, Saul? What can can the listeners look forward to as we go through the year? Well,
1: in terms of you using your smartphone or in terms of uh, just, using our smartphones just or what, get, what, get, I what mean, are we getting Just at?
0: getting a handle on things. Like they're all you know, it's it's everywhere, it's everything. It's 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 maps, it's friends, it's text chains. I mean, here are the areas, the major areas of problems. Friends text chains with people who I don't live in the same city as anymore. Work email. Um Sports, right, well, sports many, wait, many, wait, wait, wait. Have, let me let let me list right. them. Let me list them because right, I'm go. trying to bring a little structure here because I know that this has been a little bit rambling. So we got text friend, friend text change, um, work email, um, sports radio apps. Those are all bringing me um, sports fan like like searching for Patriots beat writer Twitter accounts. Even though I don't have Twitter, I'll read them through my web browser um politicalwire.com like like getting a new piece of bites and bits around Trump and his failures um and then uh, the weather but really not that bad so so those are the five big ones right there so like you know help coach me through that
1: it's a thorny. it's a, it's a it's a thorny uh it's a thorny path i i don't know i think i think Work email is something that probably most people struggle with, and I simply urge you to remember that you you know you, you don't have to i don't know i'm I'm terrible about giving advice to to these things it's too you know these are these are big thorny difficult issues we're we're all grappling with
0: all right well, I'm usually the one who gives advice, and I want to just expose myself as having my own vulnerabilities as well, so I think this season of landline is going to be. A discussion of many new topics, many new things um, that haven't gotten mentioned yet. But in addition, there will be the ongoing battle of um, wins and losses for those areas I just described. Less smartphone as a result of, um, you know, kind of detaching from those special short-term uh pleasure centers and exposing myself in areas that maybe don't seem as fun on their face but end up having a much larger and more rewarding return in in the long run. So
1: All right, I'm I'm in agreement about all those things. Um I don't know if being on text chains with friends makes you happy. I mean if it does then maybe do more of it or at least not less of it. Um I don't know if listening to sports radio is is you know comparable i don't know we all we all need entertainment you know whether you're watching netflix or playing the nintendo or reading or you know talking to your friends or anything else we we all need entertainment in our our lives but i guess we just sort of have to define it in ways that are not as problematic for us as um as others
0: yeah all right well um i guess the What was the last thing I wanted to talk about? Let's see. Oh. So, and I might just shoot this back into our earlier conversation, but without – I don't want to be anti-yoga, and I've said that a few times here. And I and I, I need to talk to my sister because she's actually working with some fitness people right now as her job, like branding and marketing them and building their businesses. And I know that any fitness is a positive, right? I mean we're such sedentary people as a result of the computer and the television and the phone that anybody doing anything in any exercise environment is a positive. And I know that yoga at its core is spiritual and – really beneficial that if we all had a little bit more of a yogi in us that a lot of the world's problems would be solved with that said that should be a title of a um segment on this show it could be. with that said it could be. isn't there a little bit of over subscription of yoga are not we like a little bit haven't we a little bit jumped the shark with yoga and 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 kind of have we gotten a little bit too far away i mean the hot yoga the power core yoga the sort of the sexiness of yoga the gear of yoga and i mean even extend that to all the other kind of mainstream um you know um repeatable franchised nationwide exercise programs you know and i would say spinning and peloton and and peloton's even worse you're in your house you're looking at a screen they're probably spying on you with that camera when you're not looking and, you know, you're not even breathing real air. And that's why it's so popular in L.A. because the air is so bad there. So so tell me, what are we to do? Do we need like a course correction here? Is the yoga stock too high or should I just not be critical of these people?
1: Well, I think you're – I don't know. I think you're pointing to a, a you know, true and measurable um, point, which is that yoga – You know, yoga's whole sort of, yoga sells itself as like, you know, you're you're traveling to India by yourself, and you're going on a spiritual journey, and you're taking this thing that's hundreds and thousands of years old, and you're doing it to find out these things, not just about your body, but about who you are, and it leads to better health and better life and better happiness and better spirituality and all these amazing things. And that's great but you know what it ultimately what american yoga is is not any of that you know american yoga is a commercial product and to compare it to how it builds itself and masquerades as is sort of like comparing you know a, a modern dairy cow to like a a uh, free-range bison that roamed the american plains you know in the year 1200 and So there are two different things and one might be related to the other and one might have its origin in the other, but they're not really the same species at this point. So I think that insofar as that goes, you're absolutely right And that yoga yoga sells itself as something, and whether or not it delivers, you know, there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, and there's some really smart capitalists saying, how can we export this one thing into this other world and other society and community and keep pretending that it's the same as it's always been? So up to there I'm 100% with you. That being said, I've never I've never gone to a yoga class. There's there's been a lot of times when I've hesitated before I go to a yoga class and I think do I want to do this? Are there other things I have to be doing? You know, should I go or should I not go? And I waffle and so forth, but I've never walked out of a yoga class thinking that was a mistake or regretting it. I'm always I'm always happier on the other side when i go. Yeah. And i think that's a true for just about all physical fitness. There've been there've been many times in my life when i regretted going out to the bar or when i regretted pouring another drink or whatever, you know, whatever behavior you want to do. There's plenty of it that we've all done that we wake up and deeply regret.
0: But Eat another pizza. I've never
1: gone to the, I've never gone for a run. I've never gone to a yoga class. I've never gone to a boxing class. I've never gone and lifted weights and and walked out thinking god i really wish i hadn't done that literally not once in my life and i think that that's something substantial you know and that says a lot that kind of uh mentality these things are good for you and i don't care if you buy into the bullshit of yoga and you can say it's overpriced and that it's hyped and it's fake and it's like the you know the you know physical equivalent of you know coconut water but at the same time Whatever you get out of it, you know, it's a fundamentally good activity to be doing. And so for me, as far as I'm concerned, I'll listen listen to a teacher who's in her, like, his or her, you know, early 20s recite some platitude about keeping your eyes open and appreciating life in the beginning of the class. And that's fine. I don't begrudge that because I I don't need – I'm not sitting in a university classroom with them. I don't need to get life lessons from them. What I do want to get is a happy, successful hour of physical activity and mental clarity. And then they can say whatever they want as long as they keep it to the, you know, small doses in the beginning and end of the class. Because fundamentally, I'm going for my own reasons and I'm getting out of it what I wish to be getting out
0: of it. All right, fair enough. Well, I think that that's a good, uh, you know, raison d'etre around yoga and kind of puts me in my place, I will say. I still challenge people to get outside. I think one of these things that perturbs me about the exercise class mentality. And I know it's January, and I know people get cold. Oh, we get cold, even though you all have seven thousand dollar jackets with coyote fur on top of them. But um, you know, getting even even a city walk, even a you know even a walk down the road, even a um, whatever, a, just a, a loop in your neighborhood or go to the Central Park, go to a park, you know, do whatever it is, get outside in the natural environment. I mean, what something is so cool about how the internet and screens have and TV has taken over our lives is that there's not, nothing more rich or real or refreshing or inspiring or um, dramatic than the real natural world. It's never seemed less boring than it does now because we get so little of it. And so I would hope that people – You know, can tune into the birds and the wind and all those things. And it sounds really cliche and stupid, but, you know, even doing that, even if you're skiing, even if you're, you know, whatever, mountain biking, all those things, kind of taking a moment to commune with nature in the middle of it, listen, stop, look, smell – that's the part of things that the exercise classes don't do that I'm just worried we're completely out of touch with. You know, we really don't know when the tsunami comes because of yoga class in addition to TV. And so I think that that's something to be said in addendum to the exercise that makes you feel so good inside your brain.
1: Amen. I'm amen. I'm with you.
0: All right. Well, any closing shots here? Do we, how do you feel? How are you feeling? You know we should, I mean, we got, you have a million things to say. I hope you, I steered you in the right direction.
1: Well, so I think I'll simply close with an anecdotal quote and a short poem, um, which to, to my memory, um, sort of best juxtaposes our, our podcast talking about alcohol and boxing and exercise all at the same time. So I'll give you the example of Dan Donnelly an 18th century Irish heavyweight who was never beaten but fell dead in his own bar after drinking 47 whiskey punches with well-wishers before a fight. His epitaph on his tombstone reads overthrown by punch unharmed by fist he died unbeaten pugilist.
0: Wow. Well, cheer- I've always
1: enjoyed the example of Dan Donnelly Is behavior that one probably shouldn't engage in but Nonetheless, is riveting centuries after one's
0: demise. Well, cheers to that, and uh we'll have to check in on my re-entry to alcohol and see how it goes because I know you can coach me through that too. So, with that, happy 2019. Thanks to Saul for being the first guest. Tell your friends, call the landline five zero three eight nine four eighty four eighty. Now, when you call, I can turn on the mics, record right away, and the sound will be crystal clear. So. Engage, I know you're out there listening. Engage with a pod, call someone, speak to someone real, argue with them, um, connect with them on the issues at hand. That's what Landline's all about. So, thanks, Saul. Enjoy the rest of your day. I wish you good exercise and uh, delicious drinking if you're having any. And uh, we'll talk again soon.
1: Yeah, I'll buy you a whiskey punch on the other side. All right, bye. 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 You're listening to Landline. Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon.